Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. We're about a third into the season, which means it's time to answer those tough questions. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Memorial Day. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. What to do with Alec Manoa and Jose Abreu? Will guys like Trey Turner and Julio Rodriguez get back on track? We'll talk about it. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. It really does help a lot, and we do appreciate it. We don't say it enough, but... Thank you, of course, to those who served this country and obviously continue to serve. We wouldn't be here playing this wacky, fun game of fantasy baseball without you, so thank you. We are recording this in advance, so numbers might change. Things might you know, happen over the weekend. Hopefully, nobody gets hurt over the next couple days, anything crazy like that. But, Scotty, let's start with pitching. We haven't talked about this in a while, just... I guess the state of pitching and overall ERA and whip numbers. So let's talk about it. The league-wide ERA and whip last year, we were spoiled. 3.97 ERA, 1.27 whip. This year, we're up to a 4.29 ERA, the highest it's been since the shortened 2020. If you want to look at a full season, it's the highest it's been since 2019, which we remember, juice ball, whole whole bunch of home runs that year. The whip so far this season is 1.32. Again, the highest since 2020, and then 2019 before that. Things have stabilized quite a bit, though. Uh, 295 BABIP this season. It is up from 289 last year, but it was 296 in 2019. So it doesn't seem like anything, any kind of crazy outlier season, even with these shift restrictions. Home runs are up compared to last season, uh, but not as high as 2021. So overall, offense is up compared to last year. But, Scott, I think when we look back on 2022... We will remember it as the season with the dead in baseball where we got all this great pitching, but that's exactly what it will be. It will be known as an outlier in this, I don't know, I guess, era of offense that we're currently playing in. Well, certainly so far it has. I'm not ready to say that, I'm not ready to declare that the final verdict because as we've seen both last year and in 2021, uh, the ball played differently at different times of the year. And I think there's just a lot of variability in the manufacturing prospect and then the range of acceptable parameters is wide enough that, you know, from even from one season to the next, you can't predict exactly how it's going to play. Uh, it is interesting to me, and I'm looking at the stats now, that, you know, normally, historically... Off, um, offense gets better as the season gets warmer. So it's at its lowest in April, gets better in May, better in June, better in July, better in August, and then maybe a little worse in September. That's the general pattern. And of course, there's some variation from year to year. We haven't seen big improvement for off- offense from 
April to May. It's it's mostly held steady. Actually, ERA has gone down in May from April, which is a little abnormal. But home run rate has gone up from April to May. So, you know, the, the, there's some give and take there. But it isn't. It, it already isn't following the usual pattern of a season. And so that just makes it even harder to figure out. My Just my own feeling as somebody who plays fantasy baseball, somebody who watches this on a day-to-day basis, is that pitching has gotten a little more stable than it was early on. And we're just even the most dominant pitchers were getting wrecked out of nowhere. Um, and there's still like still the highest, the highest in pitchers still have had their struggles. They haven't been quite as dominant overall, but just on a night to night basis, the feeling of anything can happen to anyone has gone away a little bit. So I don't know if that's just me becoming accustomed to a new reality or if or if that's actually happening it kind of feels that way um i will say it might feel that way even more for you because you know guys like chris sale and maybe even like a lance lynn have gotten back on track a little bit but i'm happy you mentioned you know kind of what's happened with the aces so far this year and even the past couple of years right you mentioned this recently since the sticky substance crackdown in 2021, there's kind of been this flattening at the top of the pitcher pool, and aces are not separating themselves from the middle class as much as they once did. And it almost feels like just one monster middle class. I think we still have tiers, Scott, like 1 to 25. We have the upper middle class, like 25 to 50 is just the middle class. And then 25 to uh, 50 to 75 would be like the lower middle class. And then Mm -hmm. whatever you get into like streamers at the bottom there and maybe like some younger guys with upside, whatever it might be. But the question is, what do you do if you're falling behind in pitching? Because you could have started your draft with Sandy Alcantara and Alec Manoa. That would have been your second and fifth round pick, something like that. Or Dylan Cease and Nestor Cortez. Maybe that was like, your fourth and seventh round picks. Um, On top of underperformers, there's been a ton of injuries to pitching. We mentioned in April, there were, it's like the most injuries to pitcher, most pitchers on the IL since, I don't know, in the past like 20 years or something crazy like that. So how do you turn pitching around, Scott? Are you looking to take your excess offense in leagues and, and try and flip it for maybe underperforming pitchers early on here? Well, you're laying out a scenario where you already have underperforming pitchers. I guess True. getting more underperforming pitchers, <laughs> if you're trusting them all to turn around, will help you make up ground faster. The The good news, I think, if, if pitching is where you're struggling as opposed to hitting, is that there are always new pitching options emerging off the waiver wire. I, I feel like that is there, there's a more consistent flow of pitching over the course of the year than there is of hitting uh, just guys suddenly taking off or uh, new additions to the rotation because obviously there's a lot of turnover at that position with all the injuries that happen there. So if you're trusting your struggling starters to come around, and that might vary pitcher by pitcher, I understand. I have a lot more faith in Sandy Alcantara coming around than Alec Manoa, for instance. But you you may be able to survive it, you know, just by aggressively playing the waiver wire and and you know being really hands on with it. I think uh, if you already have hope at the top, that that might be a better solution than um, potentially impairing your offense to try and address it through a trade. But if you have excess at a position, I mean, that's certainly more common in like a head to head league where you don't have the big lineup to fill. You know, it's just nine hitter spots to fill, basically. If you have access somewhere and you want to trade for pitching, it probably is better to target a sell-high guy than than like a Bryce Elder or something who we, we still have a lot of skepticism about. Mm-hmm. Well, if you are looking for targets, these are the names that I came I, I'm up I'm sorry, I said a sell-high guy. It's better to target a buy-low guy than... Bryce Elder would be the sell-high guy. So Correct. Better to target a buy-low guy. Well, who are those buy-low guys? Uh, according to FIP, these are the biggest, some of the biggest differentiators in ERA versus FIP right now. Zach Wheeler, 411 ERA, a 289 FIP. Sandy Alcantara, 486 and a 380 FIP. 
Logan Gilbert, 381 ERA, 268 FIP, and Reed Detmers, 487 ERA, and a 342 FIP. Uh, Scott, any names here that stand out in particular that you would be looking to go out and buy? Wheeler, Alcantara, Gilbert, and Reed Detmers. I mean, before the show, you asked me for two by low targets at starting pitcher, and I, I came up with three. Sandy Alcantara and Zach Wheeler were two of them. So, okay. uh, so clearly, they'd be at the top of the list for me. Sandy Alcantara... It's been kind of weird, his struggles, because it's almost like we get a different outcome every time he pitches. Like at times he looks like his Cy Young winning self going eight innings, giving up one and run or two, and looking totally fine. And then the next time out, he'll give up four runs in five innings. And so the net ERA is on the high side. Uh, but his swinging strike rate is actually his career best. And he's always had a good swinging strike rate, even though I know the strikeouts have not been there to the extent we'd like for Sandy Alcantara, even when he's winning the Cy Young. But the swinging strike rate has always been good. So he, like, he's still fooling hitters with his stuff. I don't think anything's that wrong with him. I think he's due, for, he's due to get hot here. And um, you'll be happy you held on to him, or you'll be happy you bought, bought low on him if that's something you're able to do. Zach Wheeler, kind of the same thing. It's it's not it's not like there's anything obviously wrong with him. I think he's just a, been a little unstable here in the early going, and course performance isn't isn't something that happens steadily over the course of the season. There there are peaks and valleys. You look at his two eighty nine FIP. I mean, even the expected the XFIP you mentioned here, the expected ERA is three fifty five. Like that's not that far from normal. For Zach Wheeler, uh, still 10.1K per nine, still a good walk rate. He still seems pretty much like Zach Wheeler. So even though the ERA is a little high, if, if that's something you can take advantage of in a trade, then great. The other names you have here, Logan Gilbert, Reed Detmers. I feel like Gilbert, the rise in ERA has been a fairly recent thing like he had bad start recently because he was cruising before then and that, that's the other thing about this time of year i know a third of the seat a third of the way through the season it's not as small of a sample as it used to be but it's still a small enough sample that one start could really skew things okay so i have the timeline a little wrong here he's actually been really reliable in may has logan gilbert so that's good that's another reason to think you could buy him if anybody's selling. I guess the one I'd hesitate to call a buy low is Reed Detmers because it's mostly just a big strikeout rate, which is the best thing a pitcher can do. But he's been really inefficient. He doesn't start as regularly as most pitchers because he's in the Angels rotation and they sometimes have to go six-man to give Otani, Shohei Otani the rest he needs. Uh, so... You know, I've seen Reed Demers dropped in some leagues. I think he's probably more valuable than his current stat line, but I'm not sure you can count on him to be the sort of pitcher who turns your season around. Mm -hmm. Maybe more of a name for deeper leagues, right? And those other three yeah. are ones that you can target in like a shallower 12-team points league, something like that. The names that I found according to expected ERA, the standouts here, uh, the ones that, according to that stat, have been unlucky this season, Joe Musgrove, Nestor Cortez, Chris Sale, and Taj Bradley. We know that Sale has turned his season around in the month of May, uh, but the overall numbers still are a little bit inflated. Uh, obviously, if you can still buy based on someone not trusting those overall numbers or because he has a lengthy injury history, whatever it might be, I would still be looking yep. to buy. Uh, Scott, anything else on this group here? Joe Musgrove, I think he's pretty... You know, he's pretty well established. I, you know, he came back from the injury, a couple of rough starts here. I think he's still fine. Nestor Cortez, I'm a little bit more on the fence with. And like Taj Bradley is not proven, but the K minus walk rate is really, really good for him. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that Chris Sale is the one who I have the most confidence in by far. We've been at Chris Sale podcast all along. Not losing faith in him, even as he had those early struggles. So if you can still buy on him, like he's a top thirty pitcher for me. Rest of season, then same. Yeah, it's if somebody values him as less than that, go for it. The others I have more concerns about. Taj Bradley. I mean, it probably goes without saying he's the one I have the least faith in. Just 
you know, not not much of a track record there. And when he got sent back to the minors after those initial three strong starts, got called to make three strong starts, got sent down and just got crushed in every way. He, he allowed nearly as many um, home runs as he had strikeouts during that time he was sent down. And since coming back, it just seemed not, he, he just seemed a little unsteady. Uh, his control seems to go at times. He can give up hard contact at times. I don't have a lot of confidence in Taj Bradley overall. If somebody dropped him, I'd probably pick him up, but as a trade target, I'm not really feeling that. Musgrove, I agree with you. Like It, it kind of feels like he's going through those peaks and valleys that so many other pitchers did in April. I mean, this is kind of his April, given the time he missed. And just given the track record, I trust him to level out. Cortez, the underlying numbers mostly look good for Cortez, too. He's kind of a gimmicky pitcher because, you know, he doesn't have, like, overpowering stuff. He, he has those different deliveries he uses and just relies greatly on deception uh, it does seem like his fly ball tendencies are hurting him more this year than they did last year. And, and maybe that's an environmental change thing, but he was also pretty good in 2021. It wasn't just totally exclusive to 2022. So I'm on the fence about him. I could see it going either way. I think if you can buy, if, if you can buy low enough, it's worth it. But it's more of a hedging your bet situation than, okay, this is obviously a guy to target because he's gonna he's gonna save my pitching staff. A few other names that I have written down here for myself, uh, just names we haven't mentioned yet. Mentioned yet. I'm gonna stick to the stay on brand here. Someone I like coming into the season. It's been a real ro- uh, rocky start so far, but the K to walk rate for Lance Lynn is still really good. And I know he's come around recently, but the overall numbers still look really bad for Lance Lynn. So I think you get him for pretty cheap. I still, I haven't ranked outside my top 40, but you know, I think he can kind of perform as like an SP three SP four in that way. And if you play in deeper leagues, I've talked about him a lot recently, but I really like what we've seen from Brian Bayo in terms of the swinging strikes, getting ground balls, want to see him, you know, throw strikes more often and not fall behind in counts and, and walk as many batters. But there's a lot of pedigree there. I think there's a lot of talent and a really good offense with the Red Sox as well. So Brian Bayo in deeper leagues, Lance Lynn and some shallower ones. Scott, any other names that we haven't mentioned that you would be looking to buy? Or did we cover all of them? Well, I mentioned I had three. You asked for two. Two of the three I had were Alcantara and Wheeler. The other is Wheeler's teammate, Aaron Nola who has he's he's given us heart palpitations in the past with his just kind of erratic performances uh at times vulnerable to the long ball at times the strikeouts don't seem to be there and that has been an issue for him overall this year too but he always comes out of it you know and his his most recent start uh it may not be his most recent start anymore but he just had a 10 strikeout effort recently um, his, he's not somebody who depends greatly on velocity. So his has been down a little, but less than a mile per hour on the fastball. And it seems to be trending the right direction. And I, I just think he's going to be fine. And I think that that 10 strikeout effort was indication of was, was the start of the turnaround for a pitcher who, um, over the longer sample always seems to stabilize. So Scott says Aaron Nola is going to be fine. What about this group? Let's start with Dylan Cease, who at this point of recording has a 4.60 ERA, a 136 whip. We've talked about him a lot this season, Scott. The strikeouts, the swinging strike rate are both way down. The hard contact is way up for Dylan Cease. I dropped him down to SP29 in the ranking, so a pretty aggressive drop. I have him more as like a you know SP3 at this point in the year. What are you looking to do? If he if you don't have him on your team, would you be looking to buy? Do you still have faith in him getting back on track? If you have him on your team, do you wait for him to rattle off a good starts and then sell him? What do you think about Dylan Cease? Yeah, I'm pretty worried about Dylan Cease. I've dropped him outside of my top 20 rest of season. He has not improved as a control pitcher. He's still somebody who's who, who hurts himself badly with walks. But now he's 
not looking like the elite Batmaster anymore. And I feel like that's a necessary part. It, like if he's going to have success, that's a necessary part of it. He has to be one of the be- best Batmasters in baseball, given that he is, uh, you know, he's so vulnerable to walks. So where do we, what do we do with Dylan Cease now? It, I don't think it's worth it to sell on him now because his value is at its lowest point. And even if my hunch is correct that, you know, last season was more the exception than the rule for him, chances are he gets better than this. So do you sell after he has a couple good starts in a row whenever that happens? Maybe. You know, this is this is the sort of thing I can't relate to the average user about. I I genuinely don't know if the average fantasy player out there, when assessing, you know, they, they get an offer in their mailbox, they're going to assess this player they've just been offered. Do they default to the overall stat line? Oh, this guy has an ERA around five. He must not be that good. Or do they look at the game log and say, oh, look, his last couple starts have been great. Uh and I, you know, I, I knew he was supposed to be good in the first place. So hopefully, he's turning things around. I, you know, my my general practice is more the latter, because I review every box score every day. You know, so I, I'm aware of the way guys are trending, and that's more important to me as a general rule than the overall stat line. But I, I don't know if the average person looks at it that way. I don't know if they're paying attention to baseball on that sort of granular level the way I am. Um, so I don't know if, if Cease having a couple good starts in a row is going to be enough to redeem his trade value. It's the sort of thing where ultimately you're just going to have to shop him and find out. But I do still have him as a top 25 pitcher the rest of the way, so obviously I'm not saying abandon ship here. I'm just a little concerned. Yeah, we're not dropping Dylan Cease or anything, but obviously it has been a letdown of a season. And uh, I'll let you in on a little tip from the shark known as Frank. <laughs> That's what I've been referred to in my home league for years. Um, if he does rattle off these good starts in a row and you know someone just looks at the overall numbers then I would, you know, poke and prod and say, hey, go look at his recent numbers. You know, he's, he's been a lot better recently. So, yeah, I used to be that guy that, you know, try and, tries and convince people to make trades, but um, I've, I've tried to move away from that. Let's talk about Alec Manoa, who just had another bad start against the Tampa Bay Rays. He's up to a 5.53 ERA and a 1.79 whip. He leads all qualified starting pitchers with 6.4 walks per nine. The next closest is Mackenzie Gore at 4.8. The... No pitcher, Scott, I don't care who you are, can succeed walking as many batters as Manoa is. And on top of that, I mean, he's he doesn't get as many strikeouts as other quote-unquote aces. And, you know, he's given up a ton of hits this year and home runs. Like, everything has gone wrong for Alec Manoa. You can't, st- you can't start him right now. I mean, do you try and buy super low, like, bargain basement? Or, like, is he a drop if you have him on your team? What do you think? I have no expectations for Alec Manoa at this point. So would I buy him? I don't know. How, how low is the person selling? If somebody dropped him, I'd pick him up because I think he, things have gone so wildly wrong for him in, this year in every possible way that it, it just seems like part of his delivery is broken or something mentally is broken. Like a switch has flipped off in... Alec Manoa's um, in the way Alec Manoa is. And it could just as suddenly flip back on. He could figure out, oh, I've been doing this wrong. Um, some pitching coach could point out, oh, you're doing, you know, you're, you're, you're holding your hand this way when you should hold it this way. Like it could really be something that small that's just kind of messed everything up. And it could just as suddenly get back on track the way we've, Sort of seen Lance Lynn get back on track. I mean, Manoa's been worse in some ways, but it it, it could be that sudden. I was going to say, My- Michael Kopech, Scott, I think is a great example, right? Like, he's just flipped a switch, and he's been awesome over his last two starts. Yeah, and of course, we know what the upside is for Manoa if that happens. But there's no timetable for that sort of thing. There's no guarantee it happens at all. I can't, I can't sit here and say, okay, by you know July 1st, Manoa's going to be fine. But that is a possibility. 
And so if I have an investment in Manoa already, I'm 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 gonna be super patient with him. Again, not starting him. It'd be crazy to start him. He's gonna do way more harm than good. But just planning him on your bench for at least a few more weeks to see if if he shows any signs of coming around. Uh I'd be okay with that. And you know, I, I understand. I, I say a few more weeks, maybe another month of just just sitting on Manoa and seeing what happens. Even after that point, the switch could flip. So there, there's really like no safe point to drop Manoa. But, you know, we get deep enough into the season and, and needs become more immediate. I understand it may happen at some point that we have to drop him. I, I'm just not there yet. And the question we always ask when you're thinking about dropping a player is, will somebody else in my league pick this player up? And if you're playing with Scott White, he says that he's going to go out I and pick would. up Alec Manoa. So yeah. just keep that in mind when uh, considering dropping him. Let's take our first break here, Scott. When we return, we'll get into first base, second base, uh, all the infield positions, what's going on there, the biggest questions. We'll do that right after this. Are you interested in buying some fantasy baseball today merch? Well, now you can at the Paramount Shop, which offers a mountain of merch from the Paramount shows and movies that you love. Scan the QR code in the top right corner if you're watching on YouTube or head to ParamountShop.com, Paramount Shop, where products are Paramount. And if you're watching us live, see the hat that I'm wearing? You can get one exactly like this, again, at the Paramount Shop. Let's get into first base, Scott. And the biggest disappointment this season has been... Jose Abreu. It's like he aged five years this offseason. It's I know he's 36 years old, but it, it feels like he's 40 the way that he's playing right now. Uh, at the time of recording, he does not have a home run this season. He has not homered since September 13th of last year. The StatCast page is ice blue. He's batting 230 against fastballs and some tried to warn me in the offseason that, you know, the slugging percentage was down on fastballs last year. As of now, you were right. And I was wrong. I, you know, I just tried to have my blind faith in Jose Abreu as I've done in the past. Uh, but he is down to 81% rostered. What do you think, Scott? I mean, are we at the point where you could drop Jose Abreu regardless of league? I think mostly yes. If, if you get into some of those deeper roto leagues, you know, there, there's probably just not anybody good enough on the waiver wire for you to consider doing it. Because... Look, I I don't know what's going to happen to Jose Abreu going forward, obviously. And he's been a talented player for long enough that it wouldn't be shocking if he suddenly got back on track. But at this point, I'm pretty pessimistic it's going to happen given his age, you know, 36, and that, uh, you know, he's just not impacting the ball where we, the, the way we're used to seeing him impact the ball. He's striking out more. It's not a ridiculous rate, but he's striking out more than we're used to seeing him strike out. And we already saw his power production decline last year. So we entered the season with some doubts already. And then those doubts have only been exacerbated. Um, yeah, I think I think at this point, the safe assumption is that Jose Abreu is probably done as a fantasy asset. And so if 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 there is a league where y- you need to free up that spot, then I, I think that's okay. I don't necessarily blame us for coming into the season with optimism. I, I, I mean, his... His average exit velocity last year, even though the power numbers were down, was 93rd percentile. Expected batting average, 98th percentile. Expected slug, 93rd percentile. Like He seemed like just somebody who drastically underperformed what his batted ball data said he should have done last year. Uh, and he still had a productive enough season. It was mostly just the home runs were down. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go hard on myself for, for having belief in Abreu coming into the year. But um, it does seem like things have gone very much the other direction. And I'm ready to move on. And sometimes it can happen just like that. For a player, you know, who's 36 years old, these things can, you know, just kind of fall off a cliff the way that they've had, they have with Jose Abreu. Someone who's been the opposite, Scott, Anthony Rizzo, has been amazing this year. He's back to hitting line drives, seems to like this new shiftless environment in baseball. Uh, The strikeouts, however, are a career high, 23%. The BABIP is sky high. I've got to imagine it's going to come down a little bit. Just seems like he's overperforming a bit. He has an extensive injury history. 
I have him ranked. We both have him ranked inside of our top 10. It's, I'm not just saying like, oh, you got to get rid of Anthony Rizzo. But I don't know, given that injury history, if you can flip him for someone like Vinny P, who you know has been okay, but maybe hasn't lived up to all of our expectations, is that something you would try to do? Like a Rizzo for Vinny P type move? Yeah, if you thought you could pull it off, I doubt I doubt it's the kind of move I can pull off in my leagues. But if you thought you could do that, I I mean, look, my rankings say I like Vinny P more than Rizzo rest of season. So that's uh that's a fine thing to try. Uh I do think it's possible that Rizzo is nearly this good. His batting average likely will come down some. But, you know, he, he he only became this extreme case of high batting average, I mean, of low batting average, high power, you know, kind of these this polarized player in that way. That that's That's been a recent development in his career. Earlier in his career, his glory days with the Cubs, before this, the, the infield shifts became so prominent, Anthony Rizzo was a guy who would hit 280, 290 with... 30 plus homers. He would be a more well-rounded hitter. He, there was a time there in his prime when he was going, he was like a first round pick in fantasy. So it, with the shifts going away, seeing his batting average rebound to the degree it has, again, it's probably a little further than it should be. And some regression is coming, but it may not be as extreme as, as some listeners are thinking. All right, let's slide over to second base. Andres Jimenez has been the, I would say biggest disappointment at this position. He had 17 run score and five steals in his first 15 games this season. In 31 games since, he has just five runs scored and two steals during that time. The line drive rate is way down. His average exit velocity down over three miles per hour compared to last year. The hard hit rate down 18 percentage points and struggling mightily against right-handed pitching. Scott Andres Jimenez is down to 89% rostered. It's not the same situation as Jose Abreu because obviously Abreu is just a lot older. But, you know, we're about two months in and we have a sample where last year Andres Jimenez was amazing. The year before, he was really bad. And and this season kind of resembles more of that 2021 season uh, so far. What are you doing with Andres Jimenez? Do you think you can drop him in, you know, 12-team leagues? Shallow leagues. So, like a, like a points league or... Maybe any league that doesn't require a third middle infielder in the starting lineup, then I th- I think you could at least think about dropping Andres Jimenez. And there there's a certain amount of confirmation bias here because I had him as a as a preseason bust. So while there is an attitude, well while I am probably giving up an attitude of oh anything can happen from this point forward. A that's true, and B, but B it's it's. It's easier to um, it's easier to buy in what you're currently seeing when it already confirms when it confirms your priors, you know. And my priors for Andres Jimenez were one of the biggest overachievers last year. Looking at the data, just doesn't impact the ball that hard, and um, he is very fast, but he doesn't have you know, apart from hitting for average he doesn't get on base much to take advantage of that speed he's not he's not somebody who walks a lot and so you know everything has just kind of come together to deliver his worst case scenario i think law of averages says okay he he can only get better from here he's not going to get worse but is he going to be as good as we saw last year i very much doubt that and even as good as he was last year, I, I mentioned points leagues, why I think it's easiest to drop Andres Jimenez in those formats. In points leagues last year, his, his point per game average, as good as he was, was pretty pedestrian. It was about the same as Jorge Polanco and Jake Cronenworth. And you know, not that much better than like a DJ LeMahieu even. So I think... It, Second base has a lot of redundancies in those shallowest formats. And, um, you know, if, if you, so you don't need to be tied to Andres Jimenez just because of his preseason draft status. Let's quickly get a temperature check, Scott, on Miguel Vargas because he had that brutal April. You know, he was dealing with that uh, with a thumb injury in 
uh, spring training. So perhaps that kind of you know bled into the season, the start of the season. In May, Miguel Vargas has been much better, batting 263 with an 838 OPS. And it seems like he could make another leap. Obviously, you know, rookies could struggle and then get on track as as they gain more experience. Uh, would you be looking to buy someone like Miguel Vargas where the overall numbers are still not where we want them to be, but it looks like he's trending in the right direction? I'd look to buy Miguel Vargas in a dynasty league because long-term, I still have a lot of faith in him. But for this year, I just haven't seen enough I, I haven't seen enough evidence that power is there, even if he does, you know, start to heat up, that he's really going to be this sort of impactful player that you need to to be buying on right now. Of course, the deeper the league, the more value he holds. But I think for the average person listening, Miguel Vargas is is more of a do you drop him or not situation than do you trade for him. All right, let's get into shortstop, Scott. I got a bunch of names listed here. We spoke about Trey Turner recently. First season in a of a mega deal in Philadelphia. We've seen other star players struggle in similar situations. And what we pointed out when, when talking about him is the strikeout rate is up quite a bit this year. twenty Nearly 27% compared to 18.5% last year. He's getting under the ball too much. Uh, career high fly ball rate. The pop-ups are also up. Quality of contact looks fine. But a three-year trend with his chase rate and swinging strike rate kind of ballooning at this point so far this season. You know, he's still young enough where, and talented enough where I, you know, I I think he's going to get back on track, but relative Mm -hmm. to our preseason expectations, a first round pick, maybe he doesn't live up to what we thought he was going to be. That's Trey Turner. Eh. I mean, when he's been, when you've been that good for that long and you're still, you know, on the right side of 30, so there's no reason to assume like physically he's regressed. I think he's going to figure it out. I, I haven't seen fit to lower Trey Turner. I, I did just drop him a couple spots in my rest of season shortstop rankings, but behind guys like Fernando Tatis and Mookie Betts, not, you know, not even behind like a Boba Shed. I would still take Trey Turner over him or my expectation is that Trey Turner would outperform him rest of season. So I, I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, those plate discipline numbers are worse, but that's, that's I think, as much a symptom as a cause. You know, again, un- unless it's a Jose Abreu situation and the guy's older, and so, you know, maybe the, redust physical- the reduced physicality, redust, the reduced <laughs> physicality is, um, is what's causing him to, to, uh, to to swing and miss on balls in the zone or to to chase more because he's trying to force the issue. And I don't suspect that's happening with Turner. I think he's just, I don't know, maybe he's just taking a while to get comfortable in a new environment or I don't know what it is, but I think he's going to come around. He has been really bad against fastballs so far this season and typically feasts off that pitch. He's batting just 221 with a 365 slug. So... Seems like the timing is kind of off right now for Trey Turner, but I think for the reasons that Scott laid out, he should be fine. Let's not panic on him. Francisco Lindor, Scott, the power and speed are okay. The counting stats are perfectly fine, but the batting average has been an issue. Lower 200, 220s batting average so far. The strikeout rate is up. Um, Average exit velocity is actually up a touch this year. Just wanted to mention him because I think he's going to be fine. I think the BABIP is just a little bit low right now for Lindor, but... No, by season's end, I think maybe he doesn't get all the way up to like the 270 hitter we thought, but probably gets into like that 250, 260 range. Yeah. I mean, that's that's within the range of possible outcomes for Lindor and his batting average. Hasn't been a batting average standout in a long time. Actually has a higher exit velocity and max exit velocity both than last year. So I think he's going to be fine. Willie Adamas, the power and speed is also fine here. He's, I think he's on pace for like a 30-15 season, something like that. But the batting average has plummeted down to 204. Some things that I noted, the ground ball rate is up this year. Too many pop-ups, which are automatic outs. The quality of contact actually has taken a big step back. We're talking nearly three miles per hour on the average exit velocity. Hard hit rate down 10 percentage points. 
not as much of an extensive track uh, record here, Scott. Uh, do you have any concerns over Willie Adamas? Uh, you know, I haven't looked at him that closely yet. Same until now. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's been struggling and, you know, he's more of a, he was more of a mid round target than an early round target. So he doesn't deserve as much benefit of the doubt, of course, as a guy like Trey Turner. And there have been enough, there have been enough emerging options at shortstop whether you're talking about like a Jorge Mateo, who I know slowed down a lot recently, but uh, somebody like that or a, or a um, Tyro Estrada. Um, there have been enough emerging options there that in the sort of league where you could even think about dropping Adamas in the first place, I, I don't think it's it's a crazy thought. But having said that, what are my? What do I actually expect to happen for him the rest of the way? I, I expect he'll get better. I expect he'll hit for power. I, you know, it's the strikeout rate is actually a little lower than last year, so that's a good sign as far as that goes. Uh, yeah, I think if it's I think if it's a league where it's unreasonable to consider dropping him, then you shouldn't consider dropping him because more likely than not he'll get better. Like I want to drop him for a Paul DeYoung or somebody like that. Yeah, and I actually got that question recently about Tim Anderson, right? Should I drop Tim Anderson for Paul DeYoung? I don't think that I'm there, yeah. but I'm a little bit more worried about a Tim Anderson. Zero homers at the time of recording this. His isolated power has plummeted four years in a row. Uh, the ground ball rate is up to a career-high 66%. He is hitting the ball hard, but again, it, it feels like everything is into the ground right now. And the sprint speed has dropped all the way down to 40 first percentile he sprained his left knee earlier this season wouldn't be surprised scott if uh tim anderson is currently playing through something we know he's dealt with a lot of injuries in the past as well it seems like right now it, it might be something that's vastly affecting his performance yeah might be or he might be rusty after missing some time I, I put I put Tim Anderson, Willie Adamas, and Carlos Correa in the same bucket. They weren't so high end coming in that in shallow leagues you have to give them every benefit of the doubt. I understand shallow league situations where you have limited bench space and these guys obviously aren't performing well enough for you to put them in their your lineup. You have a fine alternative, then maybe you could think about dropping them just because it's a shallow league and, and they don't with, when they're performing like this, there are enough alternatives that you don't need to stick with them. But I do think the most likely scenario for all three of them, Adamas, Anderson and Correa is that they get hot at some point and they're fine. Their, their end of year numbers look more or less like we expected them to. I, I still think that's the likeliest scenario for all three. I know Correa is dealing with a foot and heel issue right now. So Again, we're recording this a little early. Maybe he lands in the IL over this weekend. I, I know there was some talk about that. So we'll, we'll see what happens with Carlos Correa. Two names that if you could get for cheaper than their draft day value, Scott, I would be looking to do that. Anthony Volpe, the batting average, very bad. He's right around 200. He's still on pace for a 20-40 season, 20 homers and 40 steals. <laughs> That's impressive. It is, right? The the strikeout. 200? Yeah, Batting 205 with like a, a 20-40 season, that would that would be something for him. Um, the strikeout rate is very high, but he's actually he's impacting the ball hard. It's 90 mile per hour average exit velocity. The barrel rate looks pretty good for a middle infielder. And the other name is Bobby Witt Jr., who, again, the batting average is low, but he has better expected stats than last year. The average exit velocity, barrel, barrel rate, and hard hit are all up this season for Bobby Witt. So I don't know how likely it is, Scott, but I'll just throw it out there. If you can get them for less than their draft day costs, I like the idea of trying to buy on a Volpe or a Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah, I I definitely agree with Witt. Now with Volpe, do you value him more than that previous trio? We just talked about Tim Anderson, Carlos Correa, Willie Adams. I don't know. Maybe you don't value those three exactly the same, but... I updated the rankings was... recently and I, I have it. I have Adamas ahead of Volpe, and then I have Correa and Tim Anderson behind Volpe at this point. Okay, so he's right in the middle of that group for you. Yeah. I still have him behind all three. Uh, I didn't realize he was on a 20-40 pace. 
But will he stay on a 2040 pace if he continues to hit 200? Probably not. Probably not. Will he continue to hit 200? Well, if he keeps striking out 30% of the time, he will. But will that get better? I, I can't. I can't really predict the rate of growth for Volpe over the next four months. I do think long-term, I'm more encouraged by his rookie season than discouraged. You know, it's, it's become, it, it hasn't, we, we've, we've noticed over the last few years that even prospects as high-end as him aren't dominating right when they get to the league. There's been a bit of an adjustment period sometimes lasting a whole year. And um, so, you know, I don't see Volpe as somebody who's going to continue to strike out 30% of the time forevermore. Like that's, that's, that's a round number we refer to a lot because you have to be like amazing in terms of quality of contact to overcome a 30% strikeout rate. And Volpe isn't that, but I don't think that's going to be a long-term issue. I think that's just growing pains, a guy making, the jump to the majors at a very young age and and taking his lumps. And yet he's still on pace for 20 homers and 40 steals. So that's very encouraging for the long term. Do I think Volpe is going to improve enough this year that you should be buying into him now? I wouldn't pay a lot for him. It would it would have to be it would have to be more of a throw-in situation, I think, or somebody you know, that I'm about to drop, maybe I flip him for Volpe, something like that. I, I've come close to dropping Volpe myself in a shallow league, the 12-team points league, the podcast league. I, I've i held on to him. He's just been on my bench all year. I think maybe I started him at utility once. I've been tempted to drop him, though, so that I could pick up an extra pitcher. I haven't done it yet, but it's it's been something that's, it's a thought that's entered my mind. Like you said about Manoa, Scott, I'll tell you right now, if you drop Anthony Volpe... I'm picking him up. <laughs> well, see, that's what I feared is if I yeah. drop him, somebody will pick him up and I won't have a shot at him again. So that that's what's kept me. Oh, I mean, I'm just kidding. Him. I'm just kidding. You should drop him, Scott. There's no way I'll pick him up. <laughs> Let's take our final break. And when we return, we'll talk about third base, the outfield, and uh, a few bullpens I want to get into. We'll do that right after this. Welcome back, and let's get into third base. We'll start with Austin Riley, who hasn't been a disaster this season, but the power numbers are down quite a bit. It seems like ground balls are kind of the main culprit right now. A 47% ground ball rate for Austin Riley. That's 38% for his career. And just the quality of contact barrel rate is in the 59th percentile, hard hit 67th percentile. Austin Riley is usually among the league leaders in those categories, and Something I noticed, Scott, is that he slowed down the last two months of 2022 as well. A 224 batting average, 723 OPS from August 1st on last year. And that came with a 46% ground ball rate. So it seems like there might be just something off slightly in the swing where he's kind of hitting the ball into the ground a little bit more. And as a result, it, it has hurt Austin Riley. What do you think? I think we've observed with Austin Riley so far in his career that he's a pretty streaky player. And you mentioned he kind of finished slow last year. His his start last year was nothing to write home about either. After April and May, he was batting around 260 with 12 home runs. Uh, well, I guess those are decent numbers. But the, the point is, like, so much of his production last year came in July. He hit 423 with 11 home runs in July. And so he just got insanely hot for a stretch there. And I, I suspect that that's going to happen to him at some point this year, too. I, I'm not sure it's going to be July. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But it is right around the corner, I would guess. You mentioned his hard hit rate was only 67th percentile. Not that 67th percentile is bad, but it's normally higher. Average exit velocity, 80, 80th percentile. Max exit velocity, 98th percentile. Like he still has that elite slugger profile. Uh, and it's not like he's striking out drastically more this year. I think he's going to be fine. Just a little streaky. Two rookies, Scott. Gunnar Henderson, obviously we get a bunch of questions about him. A 31% strikeout rate this season has been a big problem. Still hitting the ball really hard. Has been better in the month of May. More extra base hits. The OPS near 800. He's been abysmal against lefties. So, again, lefties and strikeouts, big issues for Gunnar Henderson. And Jordan Walker, Scott, people keep asking, you know, when can I drop this guy? And I think it's a similar answer to what we talked about earlier with Alec Manoa, right? If you drop Jordan Walker, is someone in your league going to pick him up? I would say the only way I would drop him 
is if he's actively hurting your team. You need that roster spot to make your team better. Because honestly, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to find someone on the waiver wire who has more upside than a Jordan Walker. So just keep that in mind. Uh, Scott, yeah. your latest thoughts on Gunner and uh, Jordan Walker. I mean, Gunnar Henderson, basically everything about everything I said about Anthony Volpe applies to him too. Like, I think this is growing pains for a young player entering a difficult league. And in the long run, he should still be great for fantasy. I don't know how long it'll take him to get there. I don't know. So it's, it's another, another question of how shallow your league is, uh, I, I think you put it well. You know, if, if having him on your bench is actively hurting you, or if you know dropping him means someone almost certainly would pick him up, then I would. Uh, you know, <laughs> I guess those are opposite situations. If he's actively hurting you on your bench, or if you're not worried somebody will pick him up if you drop him, if your league is such that that w- isn't likely, then it's probably okay to drop him. I will point out with Jordan Walker, he does seem to be picking it up at AAA. Has had more success over the last week. The, the, the Cardinals, their outfield is not at full capacity right now. Dylan Carlson's hurt. Tyler O'Neill's hurt and might be out for a while. Walker was hitting so poorly at first, about 180, that there was really no justification to bring him back, no matter how banged up their outfield was. But... Um, he may not be need to be hot for long to make it back. So I'm starting to get more optimistic that his return is coming sooner than later. Again, that is Jordan Walker, who is down to 71% rostered. So if he was dropped in your league, I would say go out and add him. If you just have a bench spot to mess with, use it on Jordan Walker. Let's get into the outfield, Scott, and Julio Rodriguez. Has been a letdown so far this season. Batting average issues. The strikeout rate is up to 28%. Quality of contact still looks really good. 92.2 average exit velocity. 50% hard hit rate. He's not pulling the ball as much. The barrel rate is down a little bit. Um, He ran hot last year in terms of BABIP. A 345 BABIP. This year it's 283. I mean, based on how hard he hits the ball, it feels like that BABIP should be higher. I don't know that we'll get the uh, like 280 plus batting average. But I think Julio Rodriguez is probably going to wind up being more of like a 260, 270 guy right now. So I'm not overly worried about him. I'm not either. I'll, I'll Just looking at expected stats, last year he overperformed them, but had a 254 expected batting average, a 460 slug. 254, 460. This year, 260, so actually a little bit higher, the expected batting average, and 443 is the expected slug. A little bit lower, but both basically in the same ballpark as as what StatCast said he should have been last year. Did he overachieve last year? Yes, and I think the hope coming in was that he would just get better. And, and so it wouldn't come off as obviously overachieving. But even more so this year, he's underachieving, and I expect that to turn around. Scott, we know that you love yourself some Kyle Schwarber. The batting average, 170 at the time of recording this. The power is still there. He is hitting a ton of pop-ups. 20% infield fly ball rate. That is currently a career high. Maybe something weird going on in Philly. I know you know Trey Turner's kind of having a similar issue. Uh, pulling the ball way more, so maybe trying to take advantage of those shifts, but doesn't seem to be working out so far for Kyle Schwarber. The hard contact and the barrel rate is down quite a bit. Any actual concern there with him? Not really. No, I think something's just a little off with his swing. And he's both him and Trey Turner. Let's let's mention that they have Kevin Long as their hitting coach, and he's one of the the best in the business. It has a very good reputation. And I think under his tutelage, I mean they'd likely be fine anyway, but that's another reason to be optimistic that they will be. Hey, if he's the best in the business. Come on here. Come on, Kevin Long. Let's uh, let's let's pick it up I mean, then. That, let's that, let's help these guys out. A more famous hitting coach than Kevin Long. <laughs> one of the most well known. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's well traveled. Not really anyone that that comes to mind. Uh, gosh, I don't really know. Is there any other standout hitting coach really in the league right now? Like, I feel like I Kevin Long is like <laughs> the one that everyone kind of refers to. Um, yeah. Let's get into Starling Marte. He's got the plate discipline for him looks fine. The 285 Babbitt. No, that sounds good, right? But it is 
actually low for his career. It was 340 last year, 342 overall in Starling Marte's career. He's hitting too many fly balls, 35%, uh, 28% for his career. Um, and the quality of contact all looks about the same, Scott. He's not someone that typically hits the ball very hard, but his home run to fly ball ratio is 4.7%. Last year, 15%, and for his career, 13.5%. So it seems like you know that number is low. You know, Starling Marte is getting up there in age. He's 34 years old. He had the dual groin surgery. I just kind of wonder if maybe coming off that and the age, like not able to drive the ball as much with as much authority as he has in the past. So mm -hmm. I don't know that he's going to give us like the near 20 homers. Like maybe he's like a 10 to 12 homer guy. He's still running crazy. So, I mean, that's the good thing. He's on pace for 44 steals this season. I was pulling up a list of hitting coaches around the game to make sure we weren't <laughs> missing somebody ob obvious. And my goodness, who are these guys? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I didn't realize there had been like a new wave of hitting coaches entering the league. A lot of teams have like assistant hitting coaches now, too. I, I don't even know if I can name the Yankees hitting coach. Like, is it Marcus Timms? I feel like it was him for a while. It is. All right. It is, yes. And he has an assistant who. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he's not with the Yankees anymore. He's with the Angels. Oh. His assistant is Phil Plantier, who might be the most famous player, like just from his playing days, who is now a hitting coach or an assistant hitting coach in his case. Uh, the Yankees are Dylan Lawson. No Ring clue. Bell? <laughs> no clue. Brad Wilkerson as his I, assistant. I mean, the Braves have a pretty f famous hitting coach, too, and Kevin Seitzer, who was, I think, a, made, a, made a couple all star teams but uh but yeah it's uh okay sorry i didn't look at the national league well you win right. scott because kevin long i would say is probably the most popular hitting coach uh yeah okay so anyway back to starling Marte. now this is another situation where the confirmation bias is going to kick in for me because all the cincinnati reds have an assistant hitting coach named terry bradshaw that's kind of he's famous tangentially famous <laughs> it's not that terry Bradshaw. all right um <laughs> yeah i had him as a preseason bust starling Marte, and uh part of my concern was that i wasn't sure he was going to run as much anymore and that's always been such a big part of his fantasy value he's actually he actually has 13 steals but his sprint speed is down to 38th percentile it's been getting worse and worse that's obviously not he's, he's just not a fast runner anymore so i don't know if that's going to sustain and I do have worry. I, I do have concerns at his age that the hitting is going to bounce back. I would still consider it more likely than not. But then you have you factor in all the the health risk that he's always had, and it's only getting worse at his age. Just how reliable is he going to be? I don't know. He doesn't seem like an obvious buy low to me, Starling Marte. He seems more like, a, well, I'm not ready to drop him, but I don't feel totally secure with him either. Yeah. I think that's probably about right. Michael Harris, Scott, is a name that we've talked about a lot recently. And I, I'm, it was like either last week or two weeks ago, we looked into his numbers. And I remember the quality of contact was still really good. And things have kind of taken a bit of a step back with him since then. I, I think they've gotten even worse. The expected stats are awful. 88.6 average exit velocity is it's okay, but it's down a touch from last year. Uh, the barrel rate and hard hit rate are also down quite a bit for Michael Harris. The plate discipline has improved, which is what we wanted to see, but um, seems like maybe he's trying to sell out for power a little bit. Fly balls and pop-ups are up this year. Michael Harris is still 97% rostered. I mean, what point do we have to get to, Scott, where like in three outfielder leagues, people can start to consider dropping on Michael Harris? Well, I don't think we're there yet. We got to remember he missed a lot of time. So he's, he's at a point now where the rest of the league was three weeks ago, right? Is that how much time you missed? However much time you missed. That's, that's the point he's at. And so we have to give him a little more patience. We have to show him a little more patience because of that. And also because of the level of investment we have in him. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the data looks really promising still. I, I know people are getting antsy to move on with him. I'm getting questions about Matt Michael Harris all the time. I do see him as a buy low still. Like I, I couldn't imagine dropping him. If, if somebody dropped him in one of my leagues, I'd blow up my fab to get him. 
because I think, you know, I think he's going to figure it out. I think there are enough positive signs here and just how young he is. I, I think he's going to be fine in the long run. It's frustrating right now. I get it, but I'd, I'd keep the faith on Michael Harris. All right, let's wrap up here, Scott, with a, some rapid-fire questions about bullpens in baseball. Who will lead each of these bullpens and saves rest of the season? It's pretty hard to predict, obviously, but we'll start with the Yankees here. Clay Holmes, Michael King, Wandy Peralta, Scott. Uh, if you had to choose one, who leads the Yankees in saves? I choose King. Yeah. You drop this, King. And... Uh... It's not with a lot of conviction. I think these three are on near equal footing right now, but I think I think King's just the most talented. So I'm hopeful he'll pull away. For the Diamondbacks, Scott, it seems like uh, kind of a two-headed monster right now, I guess, between Miguel Castro and Andrew Chafin. Do you have a lean there? I, I think Chafin's the more talented. So when it's close, I'm going to defer to that. I think a lean with Castro, right-handed reliever versus the lefty in Chafin and it seems like they've given Castro more opportunities recently for saves, so uh, I'll lean with him, but it's it's close. For the Cubs, seems pretty wide open, Scott. I know Mark Leiter Jr., when we're recording this, he got the most recent save for the Cubs. There's Adbert Alzali, Jeremiah Estrada has some, uh, seems like good stuff there. He gets a lot of strikeouts, also lots of walks. Cody Hoyer is a name that's on the IL, and you know he had some good stuff in the past when he pitched for the White Sox. Uh, do you have a lean here on the Cubs? Lighter. I think it's lighter. Uh, they they went so long without a save opportunity. They went with like two weeks without one that it hasn't become obvious that it's lighter, but he barely pitched during that time. It's clear they were holding him back for something. And then he got a save just on a, when, when they finally did get an opportunity on Wednesday. His numbers are certainly closer caliber. He's their best reliever so far. And I think he's think he's going to lock it up. What about the Dodgers? Got Evan Phillips and Bruce Dark Gratterall. Who gets more saves? Phillips, but they are not opposed to putting in Phillips earlier in the game if they think it's a critical moment of the game. They brought him in the fifth inning against the Braves a few days ago. But he's their, he's their preferred reliever, which means he'll usually handle the ninth. Would not surprise me if the Dodgers go out and trade for somebody at some point as well. For the Marlins, Dylan Floro has done a great job in A.J. Puck's absence. You know, A.J. Puck should be back sometime. I don't know if there's an official timetable, but it feels like within the next couple of weeks. Uh, do you think A.J. Puck just gets that job back with as well as uh, Floro has pitched? Yeah, I assume so. He was Skip Schumacher's first choice, and he did fine until he started having some some issues. Uh, that that ultimately led to him going on the IL. It wouldn't it, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing if if Schumacher just stuck with Flora. Like we don't know his tendencies very well yet since he's a rookie manager. But one thing we have noticed with him: very predictable bullpen usage. So no matter which way he goes, it'll he'll he'll probably just stick with one guy. My assumption though is Puck. With the Phillies, we know Craig Kimbrell seems like the leader for now. Gregory Soto is also in the mix. Jose Alvarado should be back at some point. Scott, where do you lean with the Phillies? Very messy, because even before Alvarado went on the IL, it, it seemed like they weren't totally sold on him as the guy, but he has the best numbers by far, and they have enough lefties in the bullpen. I, I think it's going to be him. Kimbrell's the, the second choice, though. All right, and then the Nationals, Scott. Kyle Finnegan and Hunter Harvey. They've mixed and matched a little bit recently. I kind of feel like the Nationals want to trade Kyle Finnegan and get something for him. I don't know. I think I would actually take Hunter Harvey here. I, I think he's going to lead this team in saves. I was going to say the same thing, so I guess, I yeah. guess it's not that shocking of a take. <laughs> it does appear like Finnegan is still... He's kind of being used the way the Dodgers are using Evan Phillips. Like He's their most trusted reliever. He'll come in really early in games at times, but if he's available for the ninth in a safe situation, they'll use Kyle Finnegan. But it does seem like Hunter Harvey has emerged as the clear backup plan. And I just think they're grooming him to be that guy. Whether whether they trade Finnegan or not, he might just be better than Finnegan. And the teams that I think are most likely to trade for a closer, Scott, the Cubs, I know Mark Leiter's jun uh, Jr.'s numbers are actually really good, so maybe they don't. But uh, overall, you know, all four of these teams, I think there are teams that are going are gonna to compete for a playoff spot or you know win their division, whatever it might be. But... 
their ERA of their bullpens is currently very bad. So the Cubs, the D-backs, the Dodgers, and the Rangers, I think are all teams that are potential candidates to trade for a closer at some point. Yeah, the Rangers especially. The Rangers are looking quite good. I mean, so much has gone right with their pitching staff, and I say that even with Jacob deGrom on the IL currently, that they they are the first team to uh, surpass the Rays in run differential this season. It, it may have changed since we recorded this. They were neck and neck, but the Rays were a runaway in that category, and the Rangers at one point recently surpassed them. All right. Well, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow with a recap of everything that's gone on over the past couple of days. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. 